Well, we're heading to Australia now. There we find Michael Harvey, Senior Analyst for Rabobank. And Michael, in the ad break, I said to you, how's it going? You said it's still pretty cold. How cold, though, is cold in Australia? Good afternoon. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's funny enough you asked that question today. I mean, we've obviously got a very cold front across lots of the east coast of Australia, so we've actually got quite a significant cold snap with a bit of snow and so forth in the areas where it wouldn't normally be. So it's um, it, it's cold for us, and it's been a, you know it's been a wet, clearly a wet winter um, for for most of the country. You know, clearly problematic with some parts of the country going through you know severe flooding and things like that. So it hasn't been ideal, but it's certainly been very wet, very cold. Um, with everyone looking forward to a slightly better condition through spring. Look, I'll let you get away with that one, Michael, as long as you throw out the word snow. It's not too bad. <laughs> hey, look, you, right. you deal in terms of dairy and consumer foods. Now, it's a fascinating time for food markets at the moment. We'll come back to that, though. Let's start with dairy. How's the Australian dairy season going? Yeah, it's not too bad for most of our clients. I mean, the good thing is you've got really strong milk pricing. And in fact, when you look at the Australian landscape, we've got record high milk pricing all across Australia. And just the way pricing works for farmers here in Australia is has changed a little bit in the last couple of years, which means these prices they're getting are pretty much locked in for the current season. So there's not a lot of downside risk to, to the pricing environment, despite what happens with global markets. So you've got that sort of security in the background. And of course, you know, you've got a situation where there is a lot of water around and that's good for irrigators and it's good for soil moisture profiles as long as it's not too wet, but that's generally in a pretty good position. And there's going to be plenty of feed around. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have a pretty big winter wheat crop here in Australia on the back of last year's recovery, so there's going to be plenty of feed and water around. Now, there's clearly cost headwinds like lots of primary producers are facing around the world, Australia included, so that that's the, the big challenge and labour's still quite problematic. But broadly speaking... It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a profitable season for farmers because they've got that that record high milk price, which is guaranteed, and the cost headwinds have fallen a little bit since the start of the season because fertilizer prices have come off a little bit locally, and the feed market certainly improved a little bit from when you know where we saw them escalate to back in quarter two this year. Are you still having issues around supply chain logistics and shipping holdups, and also the fallout from the Russia Ukraine conflict? Yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt there's still some challenges around supply chain in terms of, you know, getting product to market, getting product in, you know, and inputs in. Um, so that that's challenging. And I, I, the other one would be certainly the issue around how some of our export markets are performing because of, you know, the broader macroeconomic conditions. And, you know, we are we are bound by global forces when it comes to some of our key inputs. So, you know, the fertiliser price, I said, it's certainly come off what it, you know, its record level reached earlier this year, but it's still very elevated. And even, you know, the feed price that we're talking about, it's it certainly, again, drifted lower because it got dragged high because of the, you know, the global story around what's going on in the Black Sea region. It's still at an elevated level. There's just there's an ample supply and there's a good milk price to support those higher costs of production. So, yeah, we're certainly feeling the pain from, you know, geopolitical events and supply chain issues as well. Turning our attention to a report that you've recently released, it's the Global Top 20 Dairy Companies. Now, Fonterra remain at sixth on this, so no movement from then. But what are we seeing around these companies? Yeah, it's something we put out every year, just, you know, based on revenue of, do- of dairy sales for the major companies. And like you've said, you know, 
Frontier is well and truly entrenched in that list. And they're generally from year to year. There's not a huge amount of movement across the list, but there's certainly been some notable trends over the last couple of years. You know, one of them has been, you know, the continued rise of some of the largest Chinese companies that have made, you know, acquisitions and, and had pretty aggressive growth strategies outside of the China market. So they've certainly moved up the ranks. And there's been a little bit of movement around uh, at the top of the table. Like last year, we saw Lactalis actually dethrone Nestle as the world's largest dairy company based on revenue. Um, but generally speaking, not a lot of movement. But, I, I, you know, in the background of all this, you know, the, the key theme around the last 12 months when you look at the, the largest ter- uh, 20 dairy companies in the world has really been, you know, navigating a pretty complex environment because you've obviously got the impact of COVID on, on food markets, supply chain disruption. You've had record high commodity prices for dairy and that feeds through into performance of, of, how, of the dairy company. So there's been a lot of activity in the background to all that. But, yeah, we always just keep an eye on you know, the, the, the size of the companies, who's making acquisitions and where they're moving on, on, the, um, on the rank table. But, you know, Fonterra and cooperatives still play a big role in, in that top 20 list. Are we seeing more resilience from the bigger companies that might have different commodity channels that they can push and pull levers and direct their product to where the market's going? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the key lessons of the last couple of years is, you know, Certain business models perform better, so you, you know you've clearly want to you want to have a good spread across the market you're operating. Uh, you good spread across the product mix that you you, you have, and you want to have access to you know to all channels, you know, because that's clearly been the theme of the last two years. You've had channel disruption, you know, with you know consumers in food service, um, you know, to the betterment of you know things like consumer retail and, and so forth. So you want to be able to be able to move milk around and, and access the markets are performing better. And of course you want to have access to, you know, to offshore markets that, you know, outperform other markets. So that's part of the story there. And behind all that you've got to have, you know, you've got to have a good manufacturing footprint to be able to do that. So, you know, and the companies with, you know, scale and with, you know, pricing power in the market can certainly navigate some of the complexities that we've seen um, over the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Harvey, Senior Analyst for Rawabank out of Melbourne. Thanks so much for your time on the country today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is 10 away from one. Now, if you want to hear more of Michael Every, he and Emma Higgins discuss the performance of global food and beverage companies for the June quarter in the latest Rabobank podcast. You can find it on all the podcast platforms.